Tom. Hello. <sighs> Big sigh, Tom. Oh. Big sigh. Big sigh. Great Huge start. sigh. Let me tell you something. I when I first started thinking about the episode this week, I I almost sat down to write a mad lib of <laughs> my the thing I wanted to talk to you about today, because I think if anybody is equipped to answer this as a Mad Lib to address this topic as a Mad Lib, it's probably you. And based on sort of oh. our shared experience uh, and history, I think you could you could probably figure this out. And then I got way too angsty, and this entire news article became the antagonist in the story that has been my day. I've been like thinking about it, and it leads me to past things we've talked about on this show, things okay. that begin and end with sloshing and moving <laughs> in the wrong direction. So listen, here's the thing. Do you remember uh, where we uh, spent the formative years of our lives? And I'm, I'm talking about the University of, yeah, you fill in the blank. Oh, uh, University of Colorado. Yeah, we Boulder. were there. Right, right. Yep. And you know what is there? There there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot, of, a major industry up and down the front range uh, is sending things into... Send, wait, what? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of research. And in fact, one of the, one of the uh, <laughs> I think, grandsons of our, uh, is a professor, was when we oh. were there. And he actually was big in rockets and building bombs that went to Japan. Right. Like, it's a very serious thing. So there's a huge space industry. The word was space. And uh, so they're sending a lot of things to space. And, you know, we've talked a lot about space, about spontaneous tumors in the bloodstream, about yep. eyes that get flat when you go to space. Space. Well, apparently, after figuring out all this stuff about blood tumors and flat eyeballs, uh, nobody took the hint and gave up like they should have done. Oh, they should have ceased all research in this stuff. And so they're sending more things into space. And I want to talk to you about what is going into space right now. Okay. All uh, right. There are two things and they are, I would submit, related. Oh, OK. One of them is coffee. What? Mm -hmm. They're sending, <laughs> sending coffee. coffee? And okay. they're also sending a plant, a particular plant, Tom, to see if it changes when it goes to space. Now, having uh -huh. been to Boulder, can you imagine what plant they might be sending to outer space? <laughs> We're sending weed to the moon. <laughs> that sounds, oh, that checks out for Boulder. <laughs> That is right. They are sending a particular breed of uh, cannabis to yep. space, and they're going to see if coffee and, uh, you know, coffee and, and uh, weed cultures, <laughs> weed plants, change in microgravity and uh, as a result of their experience there. <laughs> if they develop Why? tumors or starts their little, little sap starts to, you know. Think. Yeah. Well, so they're going to then they're going to come back and they're going to analyze the DNA of these things, uh, the effect of of microgravity. And they want to see if when you use these things, if, if it has an impact on on, you know, astronauts in space, because astronauts, I guess, are going to go get doped up and <laughs> going to need some coffee. They got their downers and their uppers oh, I see. when okay, they get when they have uh, anxiety as a result to <laughs> The oh. results of their travel. And so that's it. And it makes me, I guess it's it's gratifying that that space people have recognized the trauma that they are putting these human beings through and sending them to outer space. And at least they're giving them an out. Some sort of vice, some sort of. Yeah. This is the best part. Apparently, 
In 2013, one of the astronauts, a former NASA botanist who helped build plant grow boxes for zero gravity, he just may have smuggled cannabis seeds onto the ISS. So this uh-huh. this entire thing has, has, let me tell you, it's been there before. If you can smoke it someplace, we've smoked yeah. it there, right? There you go. <laughs> Like uh, every, they don't really talk in this uh, particular article about what they're they're doing uh, specifically with the the coffee. Uh, they're just saying, you know, we're producing these sort of interstellar coffee. Um, yeah. But the the company says that you know they're really looking at you know for the coffee they're looking at how um, they can uh, adapt their growing behavior to climate change. That you know, sending it to extreme conditions to see if they can design more resilient crops. And frankly, you know, we could probably use more resilient crops in uh, for for both of these species. You know who I bet would enjoy pot? Those moon bears. (laughs) Remember who who was it? It was I think it was Japan, China. They sent a what are those called? They look like bears, like little floating bears, and they're the hardest thing to kill in the entire world. They're like microscopic and they're entire and it oh, the flew to the moon. Tardigrades. And then it, tardigrades and then it dumped out. Yep. So all of these weird bear moon bears are walking around. That's right. And maybe the, maybe they can get they're around there. Sticky they're... Icky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are saying <laughs> that the, the front range biosciences have a proposal of of launching a pound of of thin mint flavored weed with a weather balloon. <laughs> Just DNA changes. <laughs> like, what condition do you have to be in to think, you know, what we should do is send weed into space. Like, yeah. you know what you are? You're super high. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz Third, And I'm Pete Wright. And every week, we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out to us. Send us the story of your anxiety to something stinky at whatsthatsmell.net. That's something stinky at whatsthatsmell.net. You could get on the show. And on your way to write that email, how about you check out our merch, Pete? Whatsthatsmell.net slash merch. Now, by the time you hear this, it's going to be too late. You've already missed the sales and everything. You're done. Oh. You're done. You've missed it. But let me tell you. <laughs> Glad I brought it up. You should let that regret fuel you to not miss next year's deadline. Go ahead. Go get yourself some some of the What's That Smell Universal Truth merch. There is no calm. And uh, you keep it. Put it in a closet. And then next year, you'll be ready. And by then, it'll be retro. Perfect. So send us that anxiety. Buy that merch. Give us all your money. And with that, I will go <laughs> Pete, this is episode 409, and it's been so many episodes, it really seems like a long time since we've done one of my patented, always successful visualization exercises. (laughs) I feel like you stole this from me, and you made it Uh, worse. I don't think so. If you go back and listen to all of the earlier ones, it's only me and it always works. Here we go. So here's a visualization exercise to to really calm you down. So eyes are Pete, closed. Go ahead and, uh, eyes are closed. Uh, shoes and socks are off. Pete, yep. imagine you're standing outside in a wide open field. 
And you begin to walk forward. And, Oops, something invisible is blocking your path. So let's just turn right. And now it's like you're floating. You're just floating along and you're, oh, well, something else you can't see is in your way. So let's just go ahead and turn right again. And you're floating and you're floating forward. Bonk. Okay. Am I something else is in your way. Uh, well, no. So you turn right again. And now it seems like you're floating in a circle around and around and around. And you can't get out. And now food is falling from the sky. And now you're floating upside down, Pete. And now you're being flushed down a toilet. The end. All right, go ahead and open your eyes. How do you feel, Pete? Just I feel like relax. Very surprised that you're the one who gets scatological in this particular episode. <laughs> this is on whatever happens next. It's your fault. I see. Well, being flushed down a toilet, of course, it's not scatological because in that visualization, you were, of course, living as a goldfish. And this leads me to a question that has been passed down throughout the ages, a question that you've probably asked yourself a dozen times this week alone. Are goldfish insane? I, I asked myself this question recently when I was visiting a new friend's apartment for the first time. She has a betta fish named Gargamel, which is a goldfish adjacent in that it's small and it usually lives in a fishbowl. And I watched this fish swim around and around in smallish bowl and it looked happy enough. But it occurred to me, you know who else can look happy enough at first? Insane <laughs> things, Pete. <laughs> things that have lost their minds. They could be having a great time. Can a fish really be happy swimming around this small amount of real estate day after day after day? And on my drive home, I found myself feeling a little bit anxious about it. This will lead somewhere. <laughs> so I did some research. <laughs> I'm really relating with the insane people right now, Tommy. Yeah, because yeah, we're going around and around in my anxiety. Here we go. So I did some research about goldfish and good news. I found on the internet that apparently uh, it's a well-known fact that goldfish memories are only about as long as three seconds. So once they're done swimming around in their bowl, it's all new to them again. Like that guy from Memento, but fish. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, and so, that was a useful trick. Right. And so that made me feel a lot better until I kept researching. Why do I keep researching? <laughs> that idea has been scientifically debunked. Goldfish memories can last as long as five months. Oh, no. Goldfish? And goldfish. And I don't even know how they prove that. I assume with a like some sort of memory. Oh, <laughs> what's that game where the, the colors light up and you have to do the same pattern over and over again and it gets longer and longer? Maybe this isn't like sim it. simple si or Simon. Simon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I assume they did it with fish Simon. That was worth <laughs> it. Okay. Where am I possibly going with all this? I okay, wonder. <laughs> it all got me thinking about animals in captivity. And that got me thinking about zoos. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always had a push-pull relationship with zoos. I loved them when I was a kid, and I still enjoy them. I don't go to them very much. But they can also fill me with anxiety. On one side, you've got sea otters, which are apparently just do cocaine every morning because they're zipping around and they're splashing and they're ottering all over themselves and they just look like pure joy. And then, on the other, and then on the other side, you've got a tiger. Dully pacing back and forth in his pen, back and forth, back and forth, which is a sign of animal stress or extreme boredom. Mm -hmm. And the fact that some of these animals are anxious or upset makes me anxious and upset. And so, Pete, <laughs> at long last, <laughs> my anxiety this week is about zoos. Wow. It is not zooophobia because zooophobia has to do with just anxiety about particular animals. But no, I'm taking on zoos as a whole. <laughs> Was this a long walk or what? 
<laughs> Do you feel like you've walked around a zoo I, in my mind? Yes, I'm exhausted. And it's one of those like long hill zoos. Yeah. Uh, that was yep. that was an epic yeah. intro. <laughs> I wanted to take you real time I'm of very, how I think about things. Very and why glad I get to be here. Done. Yes, uh, good. <laughs> uh, let's see. What do we know about zoos? It's uh, it derives from the Greek word zo z o i o n. I don't know how to pronounce that. Zoion sure. meaning living being. And before we get into this, granted, some zoos are better than others, but I'm talking even about the best example of zoos like Bronx Zoo in New York or the Toronto Zoo in Canada. The pro versus cons of zoos is confounding to me. And first, I wanted to check in with you. Are you a zoo head? How about you and your family and your kids? That is the official term is zoo head. Zoo head. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, So... I guess, I guess, I guess I'm a zoo <laughs> it head. It gets difficult once you grow up, I think. Yeah, no, it really is. I think zoos is. become problematic. Yeah, okay. it, it becomes, it's definitely much more of a thing. I mean, I think back to the zoos that, um, you know, that have been important to me in my life. The Colorado Springs Zoo was, uh, I was always there. The the uh, Denver Zoo was big for us. Uh, and the, uh, you know, the, oh gosh, I, I guess I have more, oh, this is trouble. Now you've got Uh-oh. me thinking about it. Uh, the Uh-oh. Oregon Zoo is great, and I know some people who work there, and I'm constantly, like, I, I feel like they're always helping to understand, like, what they do to be pro, you know, animal. And and yep. they're doing things that are in favor of the animals. Uh, so it's all great. Um, I get, then then you start bringing up fish and right. aquariums. And I yep. oh, as soon as I think about the two, I always have more trouble with zoos than aquariums because in my head, fish are dumb. But now you've right. told me that fish aren't dumb and that oh, I should feel than you. equally bad. Right. I can't remember what I had for breakfast. But <laughs> but if I had a fish, he could tell me. He could totally tell you. He could tell me what I had for breakfast five months ago. Yep. Yeah. No, that's it really does. The more you think about it, it can be kind of upsetting. Uh, there's a ton of different articles on both sides. Actually, people are very angry that you can feel one way and not the other. <laughs> there's not a lot <laughs> no. of articles written of sort of pros and cons, but I tried to come up with a list of some and because I was really trying to make myself feel better about it. How'd that go? That, I'm still quite in the middle. Here, here's an example. Pro, bringing people and animals together help foster an appreciation for other species which of course can then in turn lead to more conservation efforts. When you're a kid, you get to see animals that helps you uh, fall in love with animals and want to save them. Con, on the other side of that, almost all zoos are for profit and people love baby animals. When baby animals are born in zoos, the attendance goes ways up. That causes overbreeding and zoo animal surplus. And those extra animals can be sold to circuses or hunting facilities. Just when I was feeling good, I started feeling much worse. Oh, um, nuts. I'm sorry. Well, get ready. Okay. Well, pro here. You want to feel better? Pro. I guess. There's regulation. Reputable zoos are accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, or Huzzah! <laughs> and they are held <laughs> to high standards for the treatment of their resident animals. That's great. Regulation is important. You want to hear the con? Kind of <laughs> not. Violations often just result in a slap on the wrist, and their exhibitor is only given a deadline to correct the violation. Even after a long history of inadequate care and, huzzah, violations, uh, it does not necessarily ensure uh, mis- 
treated animals will be freed or taken better care of. And it's just filled with this. I went through so many different articles and research. I went down the PETA rabbit hole because PETA has some great, great things to say. And also, they're crazy. (laughs) They go too far with everything. I was able to find like nine things I've done this morning that they're angry about. And one of them somehow involved like an English muffin. Like they're, all right, PETA. Let's do one more of these. Okay. Pro, zoos save species by bringing them into a safe environment where they are protected from poachers, habitat loss, starvation, and predators. Con, Harambe! <laughs> oh. Do you remember Harambe? Oh, On May 28th, yeah. 2016, a three-year-old boy climbed into a gorilla cage at the Cincinnati Zoo and was grabbed by a 17-year-old uh, gorilla named Harambe. A zookeeper was forced to then shoot uh, and kill Harambe out of fear for the boy's life. So we protected Harambe from predators before becoming the eventual predator ourselves. Twilight Zone! Yeah, that's one of those that's really troubling because we can we actually have to sit back and feel both things at the same time. That, yes, yes it is great that we protected that child from uh, uh, the uncertain future with the wild animal. <laughs> you mean in case it didn't turn out to be like a Pixar movie and they became like fast friends and went on guerrilla adventures. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and we're the ones who put him in a place to put him in a position right. to have to shoot him in the first place. Like he was None of fine. that would have happened in the first Exactly right. right. So, and if we didn't put him in a zoo, maybe he would be the king of all gorillas or he could be in a lion's stomach. Or maybe he's ago. leading the Hello Caesar, uh, the uh, gorilla uprising. And it's that's weird. right. This is, yeah, we're the last generation, everybody, because of Harambe. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what to do about this. Obviously, I think the answer is better zoos are better. That's <laughs> not, <it's> not terribly <laughs> uh, inspirational or smart to say that out loud, but there are a lot of zoos that are doing as much as they can to sort of replicate an animal's habitat, which is great. Of course, no habitat can ever be big enough than the wild. Granted, in the wild, they are subject to all sorts of horrible things that they won't be subject to in zoos. I don't really know where to go with this, Pete. (laughs) I'm feeling good and bad still about zoos in a way that I'd never thought about. And it all started with a fish. Yeah, that's weird because it does. Can we go back to the aquarium bit? Because that's sure. we've talked about that, you know, before and how I think it yeah. was in one of our um, one of our uh, rapid fire end of season episodes where we're talking about the fact that I have anxiety about the glass uh, in aquariums. And you said your mom was a real aquarium head. Did you get <laughs> any... <laughs> Did you ever get any insight like from your parents growing up that there was reason to be concerned or to have this sort of existential anxiety about treatment of animals? I believe it was from them that I first learned that I asked why was uh, a panther just pacing back and forth. Uh, and I think they told me because it was being punished. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yes, I, I was told that it didn't finish its vegetables. And so it just has to walk back and forth. Right. My parents might not have been good at parenting. Um, <laughs> walk, it's just got to get its steps in, son. Right. <laughs> yeah, they were ahead of their time. Um, no, that's all I really remember of seeing that was the other side of it. And so I've always been on the lookout ever since. And luckily, uh, I've been to really good zoos, some of the ones that you mentioned, and there isn't a lot of pacing, but sometimes it's just completely inevitable. And it's heartbreaking. So, 
Yeah, what do we I do? do. Well, on on one side, you know, you look at the good work that zoos are doing, which is to help, you know, uh, try to constrain species that are going extinct. I mean, that is a lot of what the the best zoos are doing, right? Is trying to right. to maintain, um, you know, genetic lines, and that's that's a good thing. Like there there is good effort there, but it's it is. Uh, Oh goodness! It is uh, terrifying. I know, it when you comes look at, with a cost. Yeah, it comes with a, a significant cost. I don't know at what point that cost, that anxiety, brings about the the sort of personal will to to try to do something about it to be yeah. part of the solution. Um, I you know, there's only so many hours, and I'm I'm trying. I'm trying, and I haven't, yeah. I haven't reached zoo, uh, you know, goodwill. <laughs> uh, right. Well, I donate to every month to the ASPCA mm-hmm. or Ask a Mexican. Um, <laughs> but uh, that has nothing to do with zoos. I just wanted to mention that so I could feel superior to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a puppy zoo. Oh, well, I guess yeah. we have those. Those are in malls. Yeah, so anyways, <laughs> I don't think there's necessarily an answer to this. I just wanted to bring it up, and I hope it doesn't sound like I'm alone. And it sounds like maybe it's one of those things that you don't have anxiety until you hear about it. Yeah. So congratulations, listeners. <laughs> Welcome once again to the anxiety key party that is this podcast. <laughs> you bring your anxiety, and hopefully you'll go home with another one. I have one solution, though, that is just occurring to me oh. as I'm talking live on Out- the air. Outstanding. An all-otter zoo. Oh, just sea otters. All sea otters just running around and ottering. And you know who works there? Otters. Otters. <laughs> you know who's selling you food? Otters. Ah, that would be great. And a three-year-old could go into all the cages and all the otters would just like give them little nuts to hang Let's on to. Let's do it. When they come out, they could, the parents, the kids would say, hey, can I get a snack? And the little otter would say, what's up for lunch? And you know what the food is, Tom? What? Otter. Oh, no. Oh, what? Oh, okay. This zoo's a terrible idea. They're serving otters? All right. This is like a Lord of the Otter Flies now. I don't like it. This year in anxiety, the years? Years I'm doing this time, Pete. It's the 2000s. The place. Japan. A man named Makio Ishimaru is accidentally killed when a co-worker of his pokes an air compressor in between Ishimaru's buttocks and injects air. What? Hours later, Ishimaru complained of not feeling well and later died in a hospital, the air gun having damaged his internal organs. Nah. Now that's not oh. fun, right? And of course, it's a random and freak accident, right? Probably not. It, it is absolutely not, Pete, because this prank known as Kancho has been around in Japan for a long time. In Kancho, a child clasps the fingers of both hands together to form an imaginary gun with which they poke their unsuspecting victim in the anus while yelling, Kancho! The word Kancho comes from the Japanese word for enema. And in the last 10 years, air compressors have been used to up the prank ante. Remember when uh, I said that it wasn't a freak accident, a one-time thing? Two people died in 2017 from Kancho. And in 2013, members of Japan's self-defense forces pranked each other with air compressors, resulting in dozens of serious wounds and hospital visits. Okay, so that gives me all sorts of anxiety. So the year in anxiety is the 2000s, Japan. Pull yourself together. <laughs> you are not. I have to interrupt. In South Korea, it's actually called Dongchim. And I have to tell you, as somebody who 
I have been the victim of what? this. As you may likely not remember at this point, I lived in South Korea for a time and I taught there and the children do it to their unsuspecting American yes. teachers. They will stick they their do. fingers I up your that. butt, Tom. It is Ugh. unpleasant. <laughs> All right, let's just move on. You think you've got it bad, Japan. <laughs> you do. It's the worst, what you're going through. <laughs> but when you're done, when you're recovering, you might want to check out uh, Audible.com. Audible is a fantastic service and a sponsor of this very show. And we would like mm -hmm. to recommend you check out an audiobook uh, to get you through your time as you're nursing yourself uh, after your air compressor incident. And please say that the book you're going to represent has nothing to do with Kenjo. It doesn't. And this oh. is a deeply uh, satisfying read. It is Life of Pi by Jan oh, Martel. I've read that. It is yeah. a great book. And it is one of those books that, you know, Pi Patel, Tom, he's the, the son of a zookeeper. And uh, he knows a little something about uh, animal behavior. And uh, he goes on an incredible adventure. And one that is absolutely worth reading. If you've seen the movie, you have not experienced this book. You should listen it. Listen it hard. Uh, <laughs> listen to Life of Pi uh, through Audible. Now, a couple of people have asked. I've had this question. It's great. You sign up. You browse the library of 200,000 audiobooks. You get to pick your audiobook like Life of Pi or anything else you choose. And mm -hmm. then what? What happens? Well, I'm here to tell you. As somebody who has been a subscriber for, nay, two decades... Uh, Audible is a service, an ongoing service that gives you for your monthly subscription uh, your choice of a one or two credits, depending on what plan you sign up for. And that means you get a, a book included with your plan that you can keep forever every single month. So when you're finished with Life of Pi, which is 12 hours and 53 minutes, by the way, the next month, you get an email that says, hey, your credit is here. You have a new credit. Go get another book. And then the next month after that, you get another book. Do you see where I'm going here? I love it. Included with those books are Audible Originals. You get two Audible Originals. These are the uh, the custom uh, produced by Audible. Uh, they're like mini programs, and you get to choose two of those a month. You also get access to the uh, the the health and and wellness stuff. You can get some meditations and some some guided uh, you know mindfulness uh, programs that are also fantastic. It's a library that continues to grow. It's a great team over there. If you, uh, I, I, again, I've got hundreds of books in my library, and there is nothing like hearing Audible Day when my kids come down and say, "Hey, Dad, can we get our books?" They like they just they have oh. they have listened so hard to so many books uh, in in uh, the library that is just theirs, you know, forever and ever. I love it forever I and ever. Just. Love it. So remember, for you, the listeners of What's That Smell, Audible is offering a free audiobook download. Go to audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Get a book, support the show, go get some more merch. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's continue. Tom. Pete. I'm not messing around this week. You're really not. No more poppycock <laughs> like that ridiculous entrepreneurophobia. That was just nonsense oh, last horse week. Horse feathers. Can't believe you let me get away with that. This week, I've got something that if you don't have it now, it, <laughs> it will begin to plague you insidiously. Contagion. Yes. Yep. Yes. Key party. It will sneak into your subconscious when you get out of the shower. It will uh -oh. be it will be sitting upon your shoulder. As you get what? off that next train on an icy Monday morning commute, 
<laughs> mm-hmm. It will force your grip to tighten on your next long escalator ride into the subway. How do I know this, Tom? Wow. Because it's another of the legendary contagion anxieties. And I know it has this impact because it has had this impact on me. Oh. And when it happens, Tom, I say one thing. Damn it, Ray. (laughs) I bring you a listener submission. Huzzah! All right, good. I'm ready. I have no idea what you're talking about. This comes from Listener Ray, who says... Listener Ray. Okay, go for it. Hey, guys. Good start. Hey, Ray. (laughs) (laughs) So judgmental. (laughs) Ray. This one's kind of embarrassing, but here it goes. I have always had a mighty fear of heights, but in recent years, it's developed into something more. I get incredibly anxious when I'm in a situation where there's even a slight doubt that I might not have sure footing and could slip and or fall. I see now. Mm -hmm. Okay. I live in Pennsylvania, and the winters can be quite icy. I actually think that's how it started. When I was in college, there was one particular day where the roads and the sidewalks were very snowy and icy. Much to my chagrin, classes had not been canceled. My apartment was located at the bottom of a hill on the main street in town, and I had to get to the top of the hill to reach campus. During my wintry sojourn, I lost my footing and fell a total of six times. The the last time, my pants fell down in full view of the backed-up traffic on the main road. I was dreadfully embarrassed. I also managed to hurt my knee, which is something that still gives me problems today. Oh, no! Uh Uh-huh. Now, in situations where I'm unsure of the footing, I step forward about two inches at a time and I'm on pins and needles. This has managed to be a strain on my marriage as well because my wife loves to go on hikes and there are always very muddy patches where she wants to hike. Ah, he writes. Thanks for listening (laughs) and thanks for the great podcast. Oh, Pennsylvania Ray, thank Mm -hmm. you so much for submitting his pants fell down. (laughs) Well, speaking as somebody... Whose pants have fallen down at mine in front yep. of, uh, you Ch- know, middle children, schoolers. If I remember correctly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Let me say, Ray, please shake that embarrassment loose. Uh, as they say, as we say, you are not alone. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, this was a tricky one. Uh, let me just start yeah. by saying that the CDC Centers for Disease, Centers for Disease Control say that the adjusted costs of fatal and non-fatal falls in the U.S., is reached over $50 billion annually. What? Yeah. We're doing 50... Is that just to get our pants back up? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to let this pants thing go. Clearly, I'm I'm obsessed with that part. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So it... And and that is, you know, predominantly in older adults, right? 60 and over. Uh, Yeah. But because that's just, you know, that's when you have a, a higher concentration of fall things. But... Uh, that that doesn't mean that the message of like the the terror that comes with falling down isn't there for all of us. And as soon as you start thinking about it, as soon as you start thinking about the the cases that where you could fall and what could happen yeah. to you when you land on certain surfaces, um, that that can develop into something more. Uh, terrifying. What it is not, although closely related, there are a couple of uh, related anxieties or phobias uh, that that this is not specifically. Uh, one of them is ambulophobia, right? That's mm. fear of of walking in the first place. You'll just you just won't walk. 
there yep. is stasibasiphobia, stasibasiphobia, mm. or or just plain uh, stasiphobia, which is fear of standing. So we have now covered both the fear of walking and the fear of standing. Okay. Uh, we have bathmophobia, which is fear of stairs or steep slopes, and we have oh there it uh, is yeah yeah, and we have barophobia which is new to me and yet feels like a hand to a warm glove, fear of loss of gravity. Ooh. Right. Oh, mm -hmm. yep. So these so are all sort of space. related. Now, what, what we are talking about here, it was kind of buried in number two, stasibasophobia. It's actually just basophobia. It is a fear of falling, or, or some okay. people simplify it to just falling phobia. I don't, I don't know if this will come as a surprise to you, but I'm going to allow you to guess. How do you think one might develop uh, basophobia? Childhood experiences? Yeah. You know, a yeah. traumatic life experience, like a yep. fall or a fall that comes right alongside an embarrassment or injury. <laughs> yep. So uh, this is uh, even witnessing someone else falling in a traumatic way uh, it can can do it. So let me ask you, Tom, how do you feel about uh, falling down? Well, that's the thing is at some point it stopped being funny. Like yeah. when I remember falling down as a kid or even as a college student, going back once again to University of Colorado at Boulder, the great big library there is Norlin Library. And out front, uh, the, every year they would open up a skating rink, except it wasn't a skating rink. It was just everything was iced over. <laughs> they didn't tell us. <laughs> there was nothing blocked off. And so everyone would slip and fall yeah. on the way to Norlin. And I remember back then it was kind of funny. Uh, that was where I learned, A, to not fight it. Mm -hmm. That if you're slipping on ice, just let yourself go limp. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you fight it, I did this one uh, massive whoa, 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 whoa session, which I think might still be going on <laughs> in a different, in like a parallel universe, because I fought it for a long time and then fell. But it was all just about embarrassment. And embarrassment can be kind of funny. Now, if I fall down, which luckily I don't do, it's a little more shattering. Not bone shattering, but it feels like it's getting close. Yeah. Like it hurts. It really hurts to fall down now. And I'm so not used to it because I'm not running around like a child all the time that it kind of everything aches. It reminds me that I'm yeah. very human and very fallible. Nothing funny about that at all. And you have just described really e exactly the condition that most adults find themselves in and why this basophobia uh, actually develops in a lot of adults. It is a it's a big deal. And, and yeah. it is because we as grown up people in our effort to adult better forgot how to fall down. <laughs> right? right. It's not something that we do every day. And as you grow, you get older and you spend more time around hard surfaces and you have to navigate different weather conditions. And suddenly you are in introduced to uh, more circumstances where the stakes of a fall are higher and you don't mm. know how to do it. Right. Yeah. So that is, as it turns out, like I, I'm exactly in that place. And I didn't I haven't been thinking about this until I, we got this no. email from Ray where I, like now I'm realizing, look at all the places I could fall down. And it's it's icy in the morning and I go on my walks with the dog and we're walking around like steep hills and wavy paths. And uh, I, I feel like there is just high risk getting out of bed in the morning. Maybe I should take that slow. But that, it turns out, is not the right thing to do. So thankfully. Harvard Medical School says that getting over this is all about building confidence, baby. In falling. Yeah, they do. Okay. That's what they say. And and it turns out it is actually 
much easier to do than you think it is. The first thing that you want to do, uh, again, thanks to Harvard Medical School, is you want you, you can work with a physical therapist and a practice called gait training. And in this therapy, you work on strengthening muscles and improving posture and GAIGA exactly, and developing Got good it. walking form so that you move more fluidly. And it, it's all about sort of recovering and developing normal strength because, as it turns out, as you age, you you if you don't practice these kinds of movements, you'll lose them. You'll lose even Hmm. walking. You will start to walk in a way that is, in fact, incorrect for your normal posture. And so Uh, this kind of gait training is is something that can really help you, and it can help you very quickly. Uh, You can work with an occupational therapist uh, to to help you learn to use those muscles in a better way. You can take up Tai Chi, for example. And in fact, um, Mm. a a study uh, by uh, Judy Stevens and Robin Lee, the potential to reduce fall and avert costs by clinic clinically managing fall risk. Uh, They uh, came out and said, look, depending on the size of the eligible population, implementation of a single intervention could prevent between 9,563 and 45,164 medically treated falls annually. Oh, wow, that is so weirdly specific. It is very specific, <laughs> right? Because they read the know. actuarial tables, right? And they look oh, at the at the the medical outcome of a fall and lining it up with people who have have implemented these kind of interventions. And they said, "You take up Tai Chi, and in some cases, in in uh, one to three uh, sessions, you can learn how to develop the sort of balance training that will help you avoid a fall completely. Mm. Think about that. That's just crazy. Uh, here's another one that, uh, that I thought was interesting. Vitamin D supplements. Most of us are chronically short of vitamin D in our system. Is that for bones? Uh, it's for bones. It's for inner ear. It's for uh, mood. It's for thyroid. Oh. Like it's uh, okay. vitamin D does a lot of stuff. I don't. I, all I know is like I wake up in the morning, my wife jams a vitamin D in my mouth, and so uh, because <laughs> uh, well, I live in Oregon, right? It's whatever like, you're into. There's a curtain. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a curtain that's drawn uh, right around September and oh. uh, that doesn't open up for a long time. So, you know, I am one of those that, you know, my blood tests, they test for vitamin D because I have been chronically low in vitamin D for so long. But it turns out, especially as you get older, uh, vitamin yeah. D can really help uh, get off of other medications, right? Uh, medications, most of their, of their side effects will look like, um, you know, sleep. Uh, if you have a sleep disorder, uh, you'll be on a medication that can impact anxiety meds, can I- I impact your ability, your sometimes your inner, inner ear, high blood pressure, chronic pain. They mm-hmm. all have side effects that may impact balance and drowsiness and all sorts of things like that. And those increase your fall risk, especially mm. as an adult. All of these things are are things that anybody can do, but the I started searching around uh, for some other, like, you know, do it yourself, sort of how do you... Where might you improve that confidence? And, you know, I think stunt people, Tom, 
Stunt people oh. are amazing. And so I started searching YouTube. And if you just yeah. search Learn to Fall, the Corridor Crew, we're big fans of the Corridor Crew. They have a How to Fall Without Hurting Yourself video that's fantastic. Skateboarding. There are all kinds of skateboarding videos that demonstrate <laughs> how to correctly fall in skateboarding, how to fall without getting hurt. Learn to fall safely. And you know what you need to do? <laughs> you need to go outside and you need to fall down. Because most cases... <laughs> to, to practice? Yes. You've got to practice. If you're going to increase your confidence, you've got to practice how to do it. I'm not messing with you, Tommy. I want you out there falling down because that is going to help. It's going to help. And I bet, I bet, Ray, if you go outside and you put falling down with some intention uh, and you practice, you're going to reduce your level of anxiety on this stuff. That is, that's what the research says. That's what these uh, videos say. Practice falling down this is like fight tom this is fight club it's fall club oh that's right right it's fall club it is fall club where a bunch of grown men watch each other fall down in the dark (laughs) and they go to work the next day and they're bruised and battered a little bit beat up but they are stronger but they're stronger for it yes (laughs) fall club that sounds like such a delightful craft group (laughs) but instead everyone's just falling over all right. I All right. I started thinking falling about this. Falling with intention. Falling with intention. Also, I think this is a great opportunity for some product development on our part, which is mm. might be the uh, WTS line of of home modification products for right. those who feel like they're a fall risk. Like, uh, you know, some sort of uh, home hallway handrail. Like, there's got mm-hmm. to be something we do that. Definitely in- inflatable throw rugs. Uh, so that if it detects a fall, it automatically poofs up like a mat, like a safety mat. <laughs> so all your rugs could be safe mats. That would be awesome. Um, uh, what, oh, I have one. What? Just a tighter belt. <laughs> what? That would help for the pants falling down. <laughs> we just have extra tight belts. I'm still thinking about what's that part. That smell extra tight belts. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, what's that? Oh, because most of them occur in the bathroom, especially as an older adult. So you need oh. like what's that smell? Like cushioned appliances, walls. right? Oh, like that's better. Soft, soft serve toilet. Like don't sit on it. Soft serve toilet. That's weird. God. No, soft serve was not the word I meant to use. Oh my that's God. weird. We're not making a toilet out of food next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or ejection floors. <laughs> this, as soon as it detects you've hit it, it stands you back up again. Perfect. That sounds foolproof. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Thank you so much, Ray, uh, for, Thank for you, Pennsylvania writing. Ray. Pennsylvania Ray, you're the best. Uh, I hope you've had a chance to laugh a little bit about this, but you know what else? Go outside and fall down. You're the best. Love, Mom. <laughs> Great job. Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune is Deep Sea by Raw. Coming up next week. Here we go. Okay. First of all, none of this is going to matter because you just made up a university and, as far as I know, a country. Yeah. <laughs> in my notes, it says, Tom, have you heard of Zapier? And in parentheses, it says, undoubtedly, he has not. <laughs> yes. But I and, do know what it feels like to be hit on the head. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's such a sum up for both of us. But yeah. I do know what it feels like to fall over in your bathtub. Okay. Until then, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Mitz the third. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back next week on What's That Smell? 